What's going on, everyone? Maiko back with another episode of Hobby Talk. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to the show. I'm pleased to be joined today by Dustin Bellinger, who's a Hall of Fame collector, has a wide range of products and sets that he likes to choose from. Definitely not afraid to test vintage and modern, kind of mix things up a little bit. Dustin, how are you doing today? Doing great. Really happy to be a part of the show. I always like to listen to the Hobby Talk episodes, so cool for me to be a part of one. Well, I definitely am happy to get you on here. Um, I love, uh, obviously love this hobby just like you, and I really, um, I have a soft spot for people who kind of like to collect a little bit of everything because that's kind of the way I am. I like the old school stuff. I like the brand new stuff. Obviously, we all have um, certain focuses to a degree, but it's just fun to sample everything that this uh, fantastic hobby has to offer. Absolutely. There's lots of things out there. And if you're into that type of thing and, and look, you'll find something you haven't seen all the time. So, Dustin, uh, like myself, you put content out on YouTube. Obviously, I don't know what other social media you do. I know you're in some of the Facebook groups, but why don't you uh, let people know where they could find you on YouTube if they want to uh, follow up and check out some of your content and get a little look at your collection? Yeah, uh, the YouTube channel, which is my name, Dustin Bellinger. And, you know, I didn't have any originality there when I was picking the name, just (laughs) signed up and went for it. And that's really the only social media avenue that I'm sharing my collection other than within some Facebook groups. I, I really don't do Twitter or Instagram or any of that to, you know, to share my collection at this point. Yeah. I mean, Instagram is unbelievably popular and Twitter as well. And I'll read some stuff on there, but kind of like you, I'm, I'm definitely very into YouTube. I I like producing the content, but I also enjoy taking in the content. I like hearing people's thoughts. I like some of the long form um, content that's available on there as well. So there's a lot of great stuff uh, offered by social media. It's a great time to be involved in this hobby. There's always a chance to learn. Um, You can learn about the good stuff. You can learn about the bad stuff. It can make you aware, but it's a lot of fun. It's fun to share it's fun to share the hobby with friends that you make online and family. And I know, uh, there's a lot of people out there like yourself that have the chance to make videos and you kind of, you're getting a chance to document your collection and you're getting a chance to share it with others and teach and, you know, provide information to other collectors out there. But you also have that opportunity to kind of share it with family of your own, don't you? Yeah, uh, it's kind of a a fun aspect with the channels. I do have my kids involved, and it's mostly the younger two, uh, the six and the eleven year old. And the fifteen year old, he makes an appearance every now and then, but not much. And it's it's kind of funny though, is I've been a collector all their lives, and I've been getting items in the mail all the time. Uh, they really never took any interest or a notice when I would try and show them anything. But once I decided to start doing a YouTube channel, suddenly they became a whole lot more interested and cared about my collection. 
and they get excited to see packages because they know, hey, dad's going to be filming a YouTube video. So we're going to get a chance to, you know, ham it up in front of the camera. Maybe get a little silly here and there, all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely fun, and that'll be fun for you to kind of go back and watch years from now. I mean, that's it's one of the great things. You can kind of every now and then go back and watch an old video, and you're sitting there looking at it, and you're like, man, why did I buy this or that? Or, wow, that was a great <laughs> pickup. Or, man, that audio was terrible, or that video was <laughs> awesome. Like, there's, there's a lot of great memories, and that. I think one of the great things I've been lucky enough to do, and I know you haven't had this chance yet, but is to uh, collaborate in person with people. And it's fun to kind of go back and rehash those experiences. But of course, you also, even though you haven't gotten to do it uh, in person with the collabs, you uh, you have done collabs with a fellow uh, a fellow YouTuber and a fellow Dustin. Yeah, that was kind of a... Dustin Abraham, he was one of the first guys that kind of connected with here in the community, which it was interesting that we shared the first same first name. And for a little while there, we had people that would kind of get us confused because we were both relatively new to the community at that same time. And, you know, we it was uh Rome Yankees cards, another uh, YouTuber that first suggested that we do a collaboration together. And we just said, oh, man, that would uh, be kind of fun. We were already had a friendship developing. And so we started working on it. And we've done, you know, a few episodes and hopefully we'll have another one coming out in, in the near future. We just it's really tough with, you know, both being uh, family guys to put stuff out on a regular basis where you have to do so much work to do the collaborations. And we've tried to incorporate other YouTube channels into our collaborations as well and into the episodes to get more, you know, participation. And so that, you know, adds to it as well. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of work, but I think it's something that's certainly worth doing. It's satisfying. Uh, for you as the creator to get that out there. And it's something that allows people to kind of learn and enjoy. And it's something for people to kind of take in that content because um, mm-hmm. you're kind of seeing media change nowadays where people are looking for those. They're looking to see content and listen to content that they want to hear really very specific and sports cards. It's, it's a niche audience, but there is an audience. So I think if you can put stuff out there that helps promote the hobby, that helps encourage others to get involved, that um, spreads knowledge, I think that's a great thing. So let's uh, jump over to the hobby and to cards. And Dustin, obviously, you know, you've mentioned your kids and you have a family and that means a lot of expenses. So you can't necessarily maybe put as much towards um, purchasing cards as you'd probably like in the ideal world. And I think most collectors are like that. Not everyone can kind of just uh, pull $15,000 out of their wallet and buy a 52 Mickey Mantle in a low grade. But uh, there's definitely a lot to collect no matter what you like. If you like modern, if you like vintage, pre-war, there's a way to add 
awesome items to your collection. And, you know, I just wanted to hear a little bit about your kind of uh, story about being a Hall of Fame collector that transitioned a little bit into picking up more uh, more vintage on that budget. Yeah. So, you know, like everybody I did, I think we all took a, a break from the hobby as young adults, and then we kind of make our way back in. And by that point, you know, I was starting a family and, and, and taking on those responsibilities. But I still wanted to, you know, build a collection. And the idea of busting wax just wasn't all that appealing to me. It just seemed like I wasn't getting anywhere. I was just getting stacks of cards and not, you know, not anything that was very satisfying for me. And so I decided I was going to dedicate more to the Hall of Fame. And my original intention was I was just going to have one card of every Hall of Famer and, you know, have them be reasonably priced. Well, that blew up because I, I'm just, you know, nuts like everybody else. And I just kept buying more and more until I've got over uh, probably close to 1,200, 1,300 different Hall of Fame cards. And I still don't have cards of every single Hall of Famer. And at a point I decided, well, I'd really prefer the cards to be from their playing days rather than, yes, you can get, you know, a Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantles from modern sets but to have something that was issued when they were playing was just more meaningful and impactful and so from there it's like well how do you do that without you know, spending like you said thousands of dollars even hundreds of dollars was something that i absolutely could not do uh you know for the longest stretch of time i never spent even you know more than about sixty dollars on a card, and it's gone up. You know as I've gotten further along and been able to dedicate more more resources to collecting. But oh, for the longest time, you know, forty fifty bucks was all I could I could throw at any one card, and so you really have to look and research to come up with things that are different if you want to get you know, lots of different Hall of Famers because you can go a long way on a lot of guys, but you get into the pre-war stuff and you get into the big names in the hobbies, you know, the Sandy Koufax, Mickey Mantle, and Willie Mays. It can be really tough to get very much at a limited price. So it really made me look for different options and things that were, you know, undervalued or maybe not as highly desirable. And I, I came across lots and lots of different things that were, they were different sizes and different shapes and didn't fit the mold of the standard card. And suddenly it's like, well, heck, I can get this at, you know, what's, you know, half of what it would cost me to get, you know, 
1963 Sandy Koufax, I could get a coin that was issued with boxes of tea uh, for for half the price. And it was a nice looking item and it has his picture on it, just like a card. It's a little bit smaller, but it's it was still, you know, from his playing days. And it has a more unique story than just, you know, another year of Topps baseball cards. Yeah, so that was always intriguing, too. Yeah, there's just such a large variety of stuff out there to collect. There's just, I mean, they've been making cards in some form for over 100 years. Obviously, the mm-hmm. standard issue cards, what, 70 years or so. But uh, there's a ton to collect. There, There's, uh, you know, I think... I think for a lot of people who are kind of just getting into it or who haven't really tested the vintage market very much yet um, that are that are modern collectors because that's what they have grown up with. Uh, I think vintage sometimes can be a little intimidating because you're not as familiar with it. You're not growing up with it and you hear vintage and you kind of think dollar signs. You think expense expensive. You think you're kind of like, oh, I don't really know. You know, I'd love to add some stuff, but I, I don't want to spend too much money, especially on stuff that I don't know. And I think the reality is, is that you can add to your collection. You can collect some vintage baseball cards or vintage baseball items at good prices. You just kind of have to be patient and look around and learn a little bit. And there's a ton of ways you can learn. You can learn through social media. You can, you know, there's obviously different uh, references out there via websites or even if you want to go old school and find some books on some uh, great items and cards and stuff like that. But, you know, if you have some sort of focus, whether it's Hall of Famers and maybe you have to start with some of the uh, lower tier ones or you know, uh, less desirable items to kind of kick it off. Or I know for myself, um, as a Phillies collector, I kind of focused on all the modern stuff for years. And then I kind of went into the vintage stuff. And now I've kind of branched out a little more trying to pick up unique items, uh, unique cards, uh, kind of one from each set. And I've been doing that a lot and that's fun. And I like to get guys who are a little better, but I'm willing to add some commons and sometimes I can get them in nice shape, you know, for less than like 10 bucks and they're great pieces to add to the collection. So Dustin, for people out there who are interested in kind of expanding their horizons, expanding their collection, what are, what in your opinion are some nice oddball sets that, uh, people could maybe look into uh, researching or perhaps adding to their collections that uh, you can do on um, on a budget, you know, for a very reasonable price. Okay, yeah, and place that's uh, a great place to start is during the mid-30s, a lot of your uh, gum companies went and were looking at doing premiums rather than the cardboard cards. So they're thinner stock, they're larger size, uh, but they're actual real photographs. Now, it's black and white photography, of course, but for me, I think there's something really cool about, you know, real photographs as opposed to 
you know, the illustrated cards uh, that's pretty common for that era. Now, uh, Gowdy did a set. Uh, well, actually, it's a long story, but it, it's actually several different sets that get all lumped as the one, and they call them the wide pins. And they're really easy to find. If you just do a search on YouTube, or on eBay right now for Gowdy wide pin, you're going to get a hundred plus listings. And a lot of them will be in rough condition, but there will also be a few that are in really nice condition. But you can pick up a, a lot of your lower tier Hall of Famers in that 15 to 20, maybe $25 range is in in a raw premium. That That's really nice. Uh, there's also, that was Gowdy's main competitor, National Chikal, or Chikal, however that's pronounced. They uh, had a set that's called Fine Pins. And so, once again, just a search of fine pin under trading cards. You'll find a lot of them. And all of these, these are great images. And this is, you know, a really nice place to start to get your toe wet. If you want to collect pre-war, you know, pre-World War II baseball uh, items, and uh, either Hall of Famers or just common players. You know, sometimes it's fun just to just pick one out that looks nice for a couple of dollars, get it in the mail, and then, you know, learn about that player's career and who they were and what they did. That Sometimes that can be a really, you know, fun and enjoyable way to kind of explore this hobby. Um, some other sets that I would probably recommend, uh, there's a set, it's called W517, and it has a lot of Hall of Famers in that set, and once again, it's really reasonably priced, uh, it, because these were, uh, were perforated cards that were, that were hand cut. They're a little bit bigger than than your standard cards, so they don't fit in the nine pocket pages. So, if you're willing to to buy something that's just outside of that standard format that we're used to, you can get a lot of value out of that. If you're willing to just you know take a little bit of extra time and spend a couple of dollars to get something that's a little bit different to store this in you, in the long run you'll save a ton of money than you know trying to collect you know say 33 and 34 Gaudi and some of the more well-known uh sets of that same era yeah and there's a lot of these items look great and you know if you are kind of if you decide you really want more of the standard baseball card issues, I mean, you can still find them. Some of them will be in rougher condition if you're looking uh, for lower price stuff, but they can still be awesome too. Uh, I I think when you're starting, 
out if you're just getting involved in it. I mean, I think I would personally be willing to take some lower graded stuff and just kind of get a feel for it. And you can always kind of buy up later, decide um, what you really like. I think it takes a long time to uh, kind of decide what kind of collector you are. And I think it should be ever changing, ever evolving. Um, you know, we all grow as people and I think we all grow as collectors too. And it's, it's interesting to kind of test the waters with everything and just kind of check things out. And there is just, uh, so much, so much great things out there. It's amazing. Every time you think you found everything, you realize how I haven't even barely scratched the surface. And, uh, just to echo some thoughts, you were mentioning, uh, you know, you could buy a common player or a well-known player, whichever item. One of the things I really enjoy doing is when I pick up, you know, a guy I'm not too familiar with, like say an old school Phillies guard from like the 30s. And I like hitting up baseball reference and kind of taking a look at his stats and kind of seeing, oh, this guy, you know, led the league one year in something. Or maybe if he was a little later after the All-Star game started, oh, this guy did have an All-Star season. I think there's it's nice to kind of go back in time uh, with some of these items and then, you know, have a chance to learn a little bit uh, about the player and kind of take a little snippet out of baseball history. It's, it's certainly another aspect of the hobby. That's it's really fun because all these are representations of different guys who played major league baseball and every player who's ever played has made some sort of impact on the game, whether it's something as simple as maybe they tossed a foul ball to a kid in the stands or whatever they did. Maybe they had the big hit that uh, sent a lot of people home happy, uh, brought families together. I I just think the history of baseball is amazing. And I think they're captured in all these different items and cards throughout the history of uh, baseball. So there's a lot of fun stuff to be involved in. And I like to, uh, when I'm not collecting Hall of Famers, being a native Nebraskan, I like to collect guys that have ties to the state. And so, you know, if I'll find uh, a name of a player that was born in Nebraska or went to the University of Nebraska, even if I really don't know anything about their career, to just try and go out and find cards of them you know, regardless of what era they played in, whether it was vintage or uh, more modern, and then just take a look at it, and it's like, it's, you know, a time capsule of the historical context of whatever they played, and you've got a life story in there as well that can be, you know, unique and where it's from the same state, you know, a lot of times you know, I know the towns they grew up in or things like that. It's kind of a fun connection to, to have to a player that, you know, for any other, any other reason, I wouldn't have thought twice about trying to pick up a card of them. But because just uh, where they happen to be born or where they lived for a time, you know, I'm seeking them out. And of course, the best uh, Nebraskan is Richie Ashburn, right? Oh, he's definitely up there, but uh, I got to go with Bob Gibson, actually. Yeah, well, as a Phillies <laughs> fan and Phillies collector, I'm sticking with Richie Ashburn. I just I remember uh, even back when I was a kid, uh, I remember they put out some like Richie Ashburn VHS tapes. I guess back then you know, they mm-hmm. would do different things about players, and I remember them. Um, 
you know, interviewing him and talking about it. I think they might even had some clips from his mother or something talking about uh, Nebraska. I forget exactly. I'm going to have to find that and maybe uh, send it your way. I'm sure you would uh, enjoy oh, some yeah, of I'd that. Definitely be interested in looking at that. And of course, uh, with Phillies, you know, Richie Ashburn, he's got a little competition. You've got uh, Grover Cleveland Alexander that spent some time uh, with the Phillies. And of course, one of your personal favorites, uh, Cody Ashey. I know you were a big fan of him. Yeah, Cody uh, Cody didn't <laughs> yeah. stick around as long as I think uh, most Phillies fans would have liked, but he's still somewhere. <laughs> I'm th- I'm, I can't remember where I saw him. He, he may have signed an independent ball, but he's been bouncing around minor league systems the last couple of years. Good old Cody Ashey. <laughs> Yeah, I know you, you you were actually a little bit happy to see him leave, I think. I mean, the Phillies had a few lean years there where, uh, hey, we got to look at a few guys. Got yeah. The Phillies played their role in providing dreams to a lot of guys who got to play Major League Baseball for a couple years. So you got to put a positive spin on everything, right? Let's, Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, rarity and scarcity. Because uh, I think some people think that, you know, everything that's expensive is scarce and that everything that is rare is expensive, if that makes any sense, if I worded that right. But uh, yeah. it's not necessarily always the case. I mean, we no. got 52 tops, Mickey Mantle, pretty sure that was double printed. Granted, half of them might have ended up in the river or the ocean or wherever it ended up, but... Just because something's rare or scarce doesn't mean it's unaffordable, and not everything that is expensive is rare. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's 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 definitely demand is king when it comes to any type of collectible, but certainly with cards and for nearly everything, it's ninety percent of your money's in only 10% of the cards. And it's that way with modern. It's that way with vintage as well. And it, it really matters a lot what that there are people out there that are actively seeking to get that card. Now, I've got a lot of different cards and issues that are really quite rare. You know, you could do uh you know an ebay search and you might find a half dozen things that are listed at like museum prices that just aren't realistic or you may not even find any of them at all and it can be really hard to try and track down you know say an individual player you might be able to find a card from that set, but to try and track down a specific card can be almost impossible. I've got, you know, lots and lots of those types of things where the total population of the card is probably less, maybe even half of what, you know, the the famous Honus Wagner T2 T06 card is. But any one of these cards, if I would just, you know, happen to sell it on eBay or in an auction, if I got 40 or $50 for it, I would probably say, well, I did, did pretty good. 
because there's just such a fine line, even with Hall of Famers. It can be a Hall of Fame player, but if the set isn't well-known and it's a little bit unusual and, and people just aren't actively seeking it, it 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 just it falls into that area where it's it doesn't matter that it's rare it's just too obscure to to gain much attention and you know like the wagner's kind of like that perfect storm because t206 cards are are anything but rare you you find them everywhere i mean they're over 100 years old but there are thousands of survivors and just about any collector that collects pre-war cards of that era has, you know, several of them. But the Wagner's the exception where it's something that is exceptionally rare and therefore really desirable from something that is pretty easy to find. And that sometimes tends to be like the magic formula there where something that's, it's part of something that's a lot more common and therefore it, it gets attention and notice and people are and, and awareness. The awareness is, is a big thing that if people aren't aware of it and actively seeking it, it just won't uh, gain a lot of value. But that's also how you find your bargains is by knowing these other things that are out there and recognizing what they are. And so you can pick up something that is maybe a one-of-a-kind item or one of just a handful of examples that exist. And you can be one of just the few people that has something like that and get it for, you know, less than, you know, a PSA 10 of you know, Mike Trout's second year card or something like that. There's uh, just tons of stuff out there that's just fascinating and interesting. But like you said, you know, there's so much that certain things kind of slip through the cracks and it doesn't get um, the attention maybe it deserves. So there's definitely tons of great items out there. And you see the same thing kind of with players. There's certain players that are, you know, exceptional talents. They put up great numbers and they just seem to not get that attention. And it's it's weird, but it's a positive, I guess, for people who are collecting those items or those players because they're able to add them, you know, really nice items to their collections at great prices, you know, well below what you would expect to have to pay. And I think that's one of the fun things about collecting some of the old school stuff is that variety, um, the different things you can find at, at fantastic prices. If you're willing to put in the work, sometimes it it can take a little work, right? It's not just something that you're going to stumble across oh. necessarily by not really putting the effort in. But if you do, you can be rewarded um, pretty greatly. Yeah, there's definitely, you've got you've to put in some time to learn. And I know when I got started, I made terrible mistakes. I, I bought, uh, going back to Richie Ashburn, 
I was on eBay, and this was years back, and I thought I was buying a 1954 Tops card of him that was in super nice condition. It was had, you know, an oddball grading company on, on it, but I thought, who really cares about that? I can always, you know, get it out of there. It'll it'll be great looking. And then come to find out what I was actually buying was a cutout from a page in Sports Illustrated magazine that was an advertisement for 1954 tops. And so that was pretty depressing and uh, and a little bit of uh, a wake up call that, hey, you've got to learn more about what you're buying before you just bid on it. And I also bought uh, an item that was like a cutout from an old uh, Spalding or Reach baseball guide. I can't remember exactly which. You know, it was from 1913 or whatever, and it was a nice picture. But those cutouts from books and things like that don't have really any any value with collectors. So to spend like I think I spent probably twenty five thirty dollars on it was you know was was a waste of money because it was something that I should have just been able to pick up for five to ten dollars if that's, you know, the type of thing I wanted to buy. And it was just because I didn't recognize what it was that I was, what I was buying before I just went ahead and bought it. And those were a couple of the mistakes that I made. It's like, okay, I've got to do better at this. I've got to go out and try and learn more about all the different things that were made just so that when I see something that I don't recognize, I have a chance to understand what it might be and, and figure it out and, and not just assume, Oh, well, it it's a hundred years old. It must be valuable here. Let me bid $30 on it. And, <laughs> and, and just be the fool and with his money. That's, just letting it go everywhere yeah i mean it can be really easy to uh sit there with the keyboard or nowadays your phone and see something and go oh that looks great that looks like a bargain boom toss a bit in takes seconds um you Mm -hmm. certainly want to take the time to read everything and if it's something you're not familiar with maybe do a brief research um but we all make mistakes and that's how we learn uh learn in the hobby and learn in life uh, something that can help a little bit is, of course, grading provided by PSA, SGC. They're two companies that obviously are pretty good with some of the vintage stuff. And uh, at least that helps identify items. If you kind of look at it, you can do the research. I mean, obviously, none of the uh, none of the grading companies are necessarily perfect. But I think overall, with 99% of their stuff, they do a really good job. So... What um what do you know about with the PSA grading and kind of non-standard items? You know, obviously we all see uh, graded vintage cards and pre-war cards. You see the 53 or 57 tops um, or the old Gaudis. But uh, what about some of the non-standard items that you've kind of talked about with the coins yeah. or 
uh, some of the other issues that have been put out back in the day. Yeah, so PSA, obviously, for those that aren't uh, familiar with the history of the, the company, actually got its roots in grading coins. And so with some of the coin issues, they're able to just leverage some of their assets from coin grading and 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 be able to to grade those that a lot of the companies aren't able to do so you can get the 1964 uh tops coins those can get uh graded through through PSA and a lot of your items will also fit in their tall boy uh holders which if you can Anything with the tall boy holders is great because you can send those in on normal submissions, and, you know, and be part of a bulk submission with those. And it, it goes right, goes right through. They don't treat it any different. Coins, it's a little bit tougher because they make that be a, its own unique submission. And so you have to get a lot of them. If you want to try and take advantage of, let's say, a special or even do bulk pricing on it. So that can be a little bit tougher. So if you're going to grade those types of items, you've really got to kind of evaluate it to whether it's going to be worth it financially. Because if you're sending in, like, say, 10 items at the standard $20 per per item grading fee, that really adds up compared to you know being able to do a bulk submission and send them in for eight dollars a piece. And with the the larger the even larger items, that can be even tougher. PSA has had their super what they called their supersized holder, which was bigger than the tall boys and was essentially around about a five by seven or a little bit larger that it would hold. And those were an extra fee. And once again, you can't send those in almost any submissions or, or any bulk submissions or in any uh, specials. It's pretty rare for those to be included in a special. So once again, it's like you really got to pick and choose whether it's it's effective for grading those. And they'll, just recently, they've added... They're jumbo holders, which will hold anything up to eight by ten. And they did a couple of uh, specials on those so far. It's basically the cost of grading plus about forty to fifty bucks for that jumbo holder. I think they did one special where it was thirty, so it ended up being like fifty dollars per per item, and that's it the discounted price. So once again, it's like you really got to think about it, but sometimes for those, you know, an item that's that large, like an eight by 10. And if it's like a thin paper stock, you want to be able to try and keep that thing protected and be able to display it. And framing sometimes isn't always an option. That's very, very safe. So sometimes, you know, that, that big graded slab, it might be the best option to to go about and trying to preserve that really large, unusually sized item. 
Yeah, that's going to be a heavy slab, too, because I think I have one of those 5 by 7 ones, and I was like, geez, this thing's huge. So I can't even imagine yeah. the 8x10 ones. they got to be humongous. But You know, I, they made it a little bit thinner than what their old supersized one was, so it's not – it actually doesn't feel really that much heavier than – than the supersized i because i got a couple of items in those and it's I, I like them i think they're really nice that's good i mean obviously psa is always evolving with the holders and um kind of improving as best they can so it's nice to hear that uh they've done a good job with that obviously you have that option to get items you purchase or that you have in your collection grade it um, for people who are just starting out, though, people are kind of unsure exactly what you're doing and they're just learning. Uh, in your opinion, do you think people are better off starting off buying some of these old school items that are, have already been graded, even if it's a lower grade, but just so it's identified and it is protected and they kind of know what they're getting? Would that be a recommendation you would make for, uh, you know, inexperienced collectors or collectors who are inexperienced with these types of kind of vintage uh, oddball items? I think even if you are experienced, it's a good, good value because one, like I was talking about with the extra costs that tend to get uh, an expense that goes in with, with the grading those items, a lot of times if you're out there looking for those larger items and looking for graded examples, when somebody's, you know, liquidating their collection or, you know, they're re refocusing, those things go out there and you can, a lot of times you'll be able to pick up items that are in, in those larger slabs for really barely more than what it would cost to grade it. So a lot of times on those items, I, you can you can basically, you're getting the card or the, the premium, whatever it is, for almost nothing when you consider what the cost of, if you would try to buy it raw for $5 and try and submit it, to PSA say, you know, and it was going to cost you $50 to submit it and be in a jumbo holder. Well, it's kind of a no brainer. If you can find one that's already graded in the condition that you like for say 60, $65. That's why I love my, uh, low to mid grade, uh, vintage purchases from time to time. I'm able to scope them out. And sometimes like I'll pick up random 51 Bowman cards, like even just commons, just cause I love mm -hmm. that set. And I'm not trying to put together the set or anything like that, but every now and then I'll find auctions and I get them for like three, four bucks a piece. And I'm like, these things full price to get slabbed would be like 20 bucks. And I'm getting the card and the case all ready to go and nice addition to the collection for kind of seems like not much of anything. Yeah. Sometimes you're, it's, it's just, you're buying somebody else's disappointment with their submission. You know, it's like they sent it in thinking that it was a higher grade than it is. And it came back a four because they didn't properly check it and notice that it had a wrinkle or something that they didn't see. So it's got, a really nice eye appeal 
but it's still a four. And so that person, they're disappointed and they're just, you know, ditching it off for whatever, whatever it sells for. But for you, hey, that that looks great. I'm happy with that. <laughs> it's like that you don't have any disappointment invested in it. So picking it up for that reduced price just feels great. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the problems with getting your own stuff graded. I mean, I think people who aren't experienced in getting cards graded. We tend to be biased towards our own cards and like, oh, this looks great. And, you know, people go in there like, oh, I think this is going to be a nine or a 10 for a modern card or, you know, maybe a seven, eight for a vintage. And then they're just like shocked and disappointed when they get a five or an eight or whatever they get. But if you are going to be getting cards or items, great. I mean, you really have to focus. And I always kind of tell people, I'm like, listen, if it's and this is more with modern cards. I just look at the card and I look for a reason why it's not a 10. And that's kind of how I think I've done best for myself with creating modern cards. And sometimes I have cards that I'm not particularly concerned. I'm happy with a 9 or a 10 and you know, I'll submit it. And sometimes I'll take chances with cards. But the older stuff can be a little more tricky. But you really got to be, you got to kind of tear apart your own card and kind of look for the flaws in it. And sometimes it's just a lot less stress and a lot less expense if you buy already graded cards and it's something that you can live with and you can add great stuff to your collection that looks amazing at what kind of becomes bargain prices. And I I feel like I struggle more with trying to evaluate modern cards than I do vintage just because I can always talk myself into why the card isn't a 10, why it's like a nine at best. I, I can always do that with, with vintage. You kind of, throwing out the idea that any card is a 10 even to begin with so when you start you know from there it's i think for me it's always a little bit easier to to evaluate from that point where it's like i i start with just looking at the at a nine and it kind of takes away that pressure that i'm not even you know, focused on, well, geez, I, I need this to, I need this to be a 10 because if it's a nine, I really didn't get any extra value out of getting it graded. I'm sure I have a history of throwing tens back in the box because I <laughs> definitely can be probably overcritical of cards uh, from time to time. But I think all aspects of this hobby are fun. I think busting wax is fun. I think buying singles is fun. I think vintage, modern, grading, not grading. Um, that's one of the things uh, about grading cards. You're like I like purchasing pre-graded cards because a lot of times it's the better option, but I, there's something fun about getting your own cards graded and kind of looking at it and kind of deciding if it's worth it and what your expectation is. And when it comes back and you're pleasantly surprised or happy, I mean, it feels like an accomplishment. Yeah, definitely an aspect of that. And I, I send in, you know, a lot of cards where I'm really not concerned with what it, what it's getting. I just, I kind of wanted in that slab for, well, then it's, I can place it in a registry. It's all uniformed. And I, I just kind of, I just like that type of presentation for some things a, a little more, especially on items that are kind of unique 
and aren't aren't as well known. Like a lot of your food issues or some of your hand cuts uh, items like that. For me, it's it's just kind of a nice a nice way to preserve that card is is in that slab. It's just those. It's like I just don't get caught up and it'll grade whatever it grades and. It's like I'm, and I'm pretty much fine with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean the slabs definitely add an element of eye appeal for sure. Um, and you know whether you're into Beckett, SGC, PSA, you know if you like that holder, you like that slab. That's something that adds value to it. Maybe not necessarily uh, monetary. Uh, wise, but for yourself, because you're going to get some enjoyment out of that. You're less worried about potentially harming the card. And I think, you know, if you kind of go further and kind of think about it even more, I think it identifies those cards and you kind of know what you have and what condition. And obviously everyone has their opinions on grading and certain people are against it and some people are for it and obviously the grading companies have had some issues uh, from time to time but every business does but my point being that in terms of the future it's easier to identify those cards and especially if they end up being passed along at some point which obviously all of our collections at some point will be passed along to someone else I don't think any of us are uh, taking them uh, taking them with us on the other side. So, I mean, that's something to kind of think about and consider as well. I mean, that doesn't have to be a main focus or something you dwell on, but I think that's a nice touch to uh, add to your collection. And that's got a, a value in its in itself. Yeah, definitely. And there's always going to be a value and a purpose for evaluating condition and having it done by somebody that can be at least per- be perceived as being neutral. I, the reason we have grading companies to begin with, for the most part, is because collectors and buyers were tired of just relying on sellers to tell us what they thought their the condition of their cards were and being told that, you know, Everything was near mint or excellent mint, and it had to be dog-eared as heck before they would acknowledge it to be, you know, excellent, very good excellent or something like that. And I think as, as as a hobby, we're a lot better in tune with what the real condition of our cards are than we were 20 and 30 years ago. I think for the most part, most of us had a distorted evaluation of what kind of condition our cards were. I think for the most part, we all kind of overgrade our cards and over overgrade the condition of them, but I think it was much much worse in just a, a generation past. For sure, it's it's easy to overvalue slash overgrade your own cards and your own players and stuff. And Dustin, obviously, you uh, you're into the vintage. You're a Hall of Fame collector. You uh, you enjoy all the old school stuff, but you're certainly not opposed to. Uh, 
embracing what's available now and what's available and what people are, and kids are growing up with now. So obviously you have that Nebraska collection. Uh, you like to mm-hmm. pick up some of the great players from Nebraska. But uh, besides that, you grew up uh, enjoying Cubs baseball and being a Cubs collector. So uh, I take it you pick up some Cubs cards and you enjoy some of the current stars of the Cubs and some of uh, the cards you can pick up from time to time, correct? Oh, definitely. You know, I had, you know, a pretty large Mark Grace collection as a as a younger collector. And sadly, I let a lot of that get away. And I really wish I had kept all that together and hadn't been so willing to kind of purge that off but you know obviously the current construction of the cubs teams got a lot of fun stars with anthony rizzo and chris bryant and others but uh definitely you know for me javi Baez is probably one of the most entertaining players in all of baseball to watch uh he's you know exciting he's exuberant he doesn't leave anything left out on the field at all so that's definitely makes it fun to watch the game and i i'm as happy as anybody you know if i'm getting into a break or i'm just browsing to to look for current cards of his and adds add different stuff i put together kind of a small rainbow of his this past year just because i thought oh well i gotten a card that was numbered to 10 and it's like well let's see what else i can find and i happen to find the 101 so once i did that it's like well i guess i gotta go get them all so i did <laughs> and so i'm definitely not uh ex- exclusive to to the to the vintage and at all it's i i enjoy baseball you know, from all eras and the current players just as much as, you know, some of the guys from like the 1800s even. Yeah. And I always try and, you know, tell people, listen, you got to collect what you like, but give everything a chance. And from my opinion or from my perspective, I think if you are a big time baseball fan, if you're a baseball card fan, you should love it all and at least sample it all. And I, I think that, is kind of the most rewarding way to collect, but obviously everyone has uh, their own taste and they like what they like, but there's just so much to offer. There's something amazing about holding a baseball card in your hand that's over a hundred years old. And there's something super sweet about holding a 52 tops card and going, wow, this is where this kind of modern era all began. And there's something fun about, Going through cards that you grew up with, from for me, that's the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, there's something awesome about that nostalgic uh, feeling you get going through and recognizing cards. And there's something unbelievably enjoyable about collecting cards of the current stars, the guys that you can watch on a nightly basis. And to me, every sport, teams and players, they all go through different stages. But right now... The talent in baseball is off the charts. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, I think we've take for granted 
because we just see it every day and we're so used to it. And yeah, there might be some extra juice in the baseballs, but there's also incredible talent from around the world. And, and that's what's amazing. That's what's really changed. Baseball's going to evolve. The sport's going to evolve. But we just have this influx of talent from not just a portion of the United States. Now you have it from across the world. And these guys are unbelievable. And I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Shohei Otani. And I know in our hobby, Otani got a lot of uh, backlash from some people last year because maybe some of the prices were a little ridiculous. But if you watch that guy, I mean, he's an incredible uh, baseball player, an unbelievable talent. Uh, and we'll see how healthy he stays. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Javi Baez with the Cubs. It, it's just the talent pool in baseball is unbelievable. And to me, it's like, why would you not want to at least collect a little bit of that? I'm not saying you have to go out and go crazy with the first Bowman autos or anything, but just to buy some of the new modern stuff is a tremendous amount of fun. Yeah. And I, you know, being you know, on the vintage side, you associate with a lot of vintage collectors. I'll run into people that'll be talking and you'll hear somebody who says, Oh, well, you know, I won't collect anything that's after 1974 or because it's too, you know, mass produced or, or something like that. And I'm, those comments always, I'm always like, why would you just want to shut off? you know, a whole just huge swath of, of this hobby where and where there's there's still great stuff out there to be had. It's like even if you hate ninety percent of it, even if it's ninety nine percent, I'm sure there's one percent of stuff that you could find that would appeal to you that you would get enjoyment out of it just by, you know, taking a second look and finding out, you know, a little bit more because once again, it's like <laughs> there's so much stuff in those eras that we grew up in that was made in the 90s where there was, it seemed like 85 different card companies and different brands and sets all coming out at once. There's got to be something that's, you know, appealing to you in in that mix, I would think. Yeah, it's, and, it's hard to believe you wouldn't be able to find something you enjoy because there's certainly plenty of variety. And as far as talent goes, it's like I don't think there's any question. You know, I'm about the same age as you. And the era we grew up watching, the guys at the back end of the rotation when we were growing up, those fourth and fifth starters, they'd be lucky to even make a ball club now for the most part, because it's, I'm, you know, I watch a game almost every night. Every guy coming out of the bullpen is putting it up there at 95 plus. Uh, <laughs> there are so few guys in this league anymore that don't throw with that kind of velocity unless they have a, a long proven track record and some veteran savvy that that they don't anybody that's got a young arm especially out of the bullpen they're throwing gas that was just unheard of there were you know maybe one to two guys on every staff that could throw like like what essentially seven or eight guys have the type of velocity that they had back then. So 
the talents, you know, just from a pitching standpoint, I don't think there's any comparison to the from now to the late 80s it's it's just at a whole nother level yeah and that's why you can't really compare eras i know people love to do that but it you know you have the dead ball era and you have the steroid era and all i mean you just have to realize and accept that there's just different eras of baseball it evolves it changes rules are going to change obviously rosters expand and the league is expanded so things change things are different and so does this hobby things change all the time so before we uh close things out here dustin just want to get your thoughts on uh kind of the state of the hobby as it is right now obviously there seems to be a boom in the hobby i personally see more and more kids Getting into it, I see more and more 30 to 40-year-olds kind of refinding, uh, getting back into the hobby, kind of capturing that uh, nostalgic feeling of collecting cards. People are getting involved in it uh, for themselves, with their kids. So it, it seems like the hobby is in a bit of a boom right now. Would you agree with that? I, I definitely agree with that. It's harder for me to evaluate because I'm in an area where I don't have shows and things like that to uh, that I can use as a gauge. But definitely, I see more product on the shelves when I go to Walmart and Target than I did 10 years ago. There's And there seems like there's much more interest. And I think the social media aspect that allows us as collectors to connect with each other is helping to feed that it's for the most part i think things were could get stale when you didn't have anybody to share stuff with and you didn't have that feedback and reinforcement you didn't get that positive feedback loop going that we get where we get something in and we can share it and we get you know people responding to it i think that just builds builds that that desire to go out and acquire more stuff in us yeah it's just it's a fun hobby i love the hobby i enjoy the hobby and i appreciate everyone listening to hobby talk with mike o you can listen to it as always on soundcloud.com itunes or YouTube, wherever you listen to it, would appreciate if you could rate it, uh, post a comment, whatever's available there. Definitely appreciate that. Hope to, uh, I say this a lot, hope to get out another episode soon. My goal is two per month. I have not been reaching that goal, but I certainly plan on uh, kind of putting the uh, pedal to the floor and uh, keeping these going. And I appreciate Dustin for taking some time out of his day to join me. Dustin, appreciate the insight. appreciate the content. Hopefully everyone out there has a chance to scoot over to YouTube, type in Dustin Bellinger. I will uh, try and post a link down below on some of the platforms, certainly on YouTube and perhaps SoundCloud as well. I don't think I have much uh, control over iTunes, what gets published there. But Dustin, it was a pleasure chatting about the hobby for the last hour or so. Great being on with you, Mike. So thank you once again, everyone, for checking out the show. Again, I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you next time. Have a great one. 